Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Jim Hoven, your host for the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast. And today I have the absolute pleasure and opportunity to meet with someone who I've known from afar for a long time, being a longtime Denver Broncos fan, someone who has put in the work, has uh, dedicated themselves and their lives to excellence and to greatness, and is going to share some of those tips, tricks, and hints with us today. I have with me the one and only Brandon Lloyd. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Hoven. Happy to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, man, when I found out you were going to be a guest and thank goodness we have people who know people in this firm, right? And so Megan Stevenson, who's a dear friend to, to me personally, and she's so incredibly passionate about what she does here at the firm. When she said that she knew you, I'm like, wait, what, how, how would you know him? So we go through this whole thing, but, um, I'm so excited to talk not only about your past, but about what you're doing, your present, having a chance had to visit with you just a little bit ago, seeing the things that you're spending your life and committing your life to now, it's truly, truly amazing. So I want to dig into that and the past and the connection. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you got started. I want to get the mindset of your family dynamic, all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to move into what creates a professional athlete. Fantastic. Well, well, thanks for having me here. I've been listening to the podcast. I'll, I'll share with you what I shared off air that I really appreciate what you're doing and uh, speaking about your personal experience and talking about company values and, and culture. It's, it's so important Thank more you. than ever nowadays. Uh, it's always been important, but now we can be uh, out front and explicit about it. Yes. It's, yes. It's, it's wonderful. Try so, to lead with our heart, right? Instead of the, the profit or the mission statement, so to speak, leading with our hearts to create those other things. Exactly. Love so, it. No, thanks for having me on your Absolutely. Um, originally, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I'm the last of seven. My uh, parents met in elementary school. What? And, elementary uh, school? Yeah, so they've been married, you know, over 60 years now. Wow. Uh, my parents. Uh, my mother is the daughter of a Purple Heart uh, World War II recipient and uh, from Murfreesboro, Arkansas. Okay. Um, he came back from World War II. He's like, you know, I just fought for our country and all I can do is be a farmhand. Mm. So he moved the family to the next biggest city, which was Kansas City, Missouri. And, and at the time, black people could own land. Okay. So he, which was unique to that part of the country. You couldn't find that everywhere. Right. Okay. Technically Kansas city, Missouri was below the Mason Dixon line. Oh, right. Wow. The Kansas purchase. Yes. So, um, they moved to can, they moved to, uh, my mom's side of the family moved to Kansas city. And then that's where my mom and dad met then in elementary school. They married at 17. They already had, uh, two kids. They packed up and moved out to Los Angeles because my dad, found out that if you become a resident in California, the state will pay for school. So he was thinking for himself or his family? For himself. So okay. He wanted to go to college. Okay. And, and so that's how we were raised. That's you know, amazing. All seven of us, you know, you go to school, you go to college, you get, you get a degree. It's something that the they, you know, in the air quotes, can't take away from you. Yes. And, um, and so that was the bedrock foundation of our family. No kidding. Now, when did you move back to KC from LA or did you stay in LA? Well, you know, this was in the 50s. Oh, okay. Right. Yep. So this was the late fifties when mom and dad moved out to Los Angeles. So they were a part of that civil rights movement. Yes. Um, you know, the, the first batch of kids, you know, the first four kids, they grew up going to see Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, Live. Angela Davis, 
<laughs> right live wow do and they have amazing stories to tell well you know it was um it was when ferguson happened when i was with the san francisco 49ers and some of the younger players were coming up to me and saying brandon what's going on what, you know what, you know what are you what are you seeing because i was the guy you know this, this was 2014 so i had came out of retirement right and played with the san francisco 49ers and so i was the guy in the hot tub reading the newspaper <laughs> 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 and so um they're like brandon like what's going on what are you what are you seeing and i was like you know i'm having trouble with this also because I'm listening to public radio and they're saying, you know, oh, here we go again, black people tearing up their own neighborhoods, um, just like in the past. And so I called my mom and dad and I said, you know, when you come out to this home game, I want to have a conversation about Ferguson and where it relates to uh, all the other historical uh, riots mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of race that you've experienced. Great. So my parents come out and then they told me, a, they told me a story I never heard before where they were saying, they asked me, so when was, what riot are you thinking of? And I'm like, uh, Rodney King after Rodney King. And they're like, no, <laughs> there was a riot, uh, in the late fifties about in Los Angeles about the same thing. No kidding. Police brutality. Okay. And so um, and so I kind of really put things in perspective to me. And then they told me the story of their experience where when they moved to Los Angeles, the only places that blacks could buy was in Watts, was in the county of Watts. And, um, and so they bought a house, but because of the uh, inequality and, and, up, and economic upward mobility, they had to lease their furniture. And then uh -huh. those leases could, would be broken at any time. And so the bill collectors would come to the house and say, well, your lease just raised up. It just went up. It's like extortion. Very much so. And thankfully, my father would keep his receipts and show the receipt, and they'd be able to maintain the, the existing agreement. But for the families who couldn't, show proof of purchase their stuff would get repoed their stuff would their bills would get raised and put so much economic pressure on the black community it was tough to rise out of the circumstances so sure. it was just stories like that where it's just like whoa it put it put their it, their the black experience in perspective to me um that i had never had that before right and so you know being able to um uh, get that experience and then say well you know, in the black community, you know, they didn't own those buildings. So technically they weren't tearing up their own community. You know, those buildings were owned by um, uh, the Asian uh, community, the Jewish people or and the white people. So, you know, black people were just working in these communities. So technically it's not theirs. He said, my dad said during those two riots, our houses were fine. <laughs> we're not tearing up our own property. And so that was another thing that put it in, pers in into perspective. And so I, I guess the, the, the moral of the story, uh, what I was sharing with my teammates at the time was don't break the law. Yeah. Just, you know, it takes a whole lot of responsibility to not get caught up in the ancillary BS that's going on in the world. Yeah. Um, something simple as, Make sure you hang on to your receipts. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, so if anything comes up, you'll be able to show that uh, uh, you own 
your property or mm-hmm. your cars up to date or you have your insurance or right right and so it's just th- those steps of responsibility that i learned most from uh my my parents uh, foresight you know that's brilliant those simple things i heard something the other day that said that little things don't seem like a lot in the moment but little things become big things over time and what you're saying there brandon where you say learn how to keep receipts learn how to not break the law like it doesn't matter whose property whether you own it or you lease it or it's not yours or it's a stranger's you just don't tear people's stuff up right like you 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 wouldn't want anybody doing something to someone else's stuff that you wouldn't want doing to your own and so having that work ethic that you're talking about and that sense of hey man i'm a respectful human that i want to be respected and having that i think drives a long way and i think so you're the youngest of seven, you said, right? That's right. Was there athletic, a lot of athletics in your family? Because obviously your, your parents were activists and they were wanting to make sure that there was fairness and equality in your home, in their community, in our country. Where did athletics come in for you guys? I mean, you had to be a major athlete to get where you go. And was that a family thing as well? <laughs> yeah, it was. And, and just to finish that story off sure. about um, that, their time and and that conversation I had with my parents about their time in Los Angeles. I, I said that to my dad. I said, I said, damn, dad, it, it must have been hard not to be militant during that time. You just want to stand up and fight back. And my dad says, he says, you're wrong. He said, it was easy not to be militant because I have a family. Wow. Um, my mom told the story. She said, uh, one day uh, your father had the kids at one of those uh, talks uh, by one of those uh, civ- by one of the civil rights leaders, and she saw on the news that the police were there taking license plates down, and then they would report them to the businesses, and so businesses would then know their employees were at these talks, and then they would fire them. Oh, no kidding! So m- my dad said, "Well, I stopped going." because I have a family, right? So it's always these um, challenges that are these obstacles that are being put into place. And this, this is the historical challenges that have been happening. Absolutely. Um, and, and the civil rights movement and all civil rights. And, and, you know, and let's include that, let's include everybody in this conversation. But uh, for now, I'm ta- just talking about the black civil rights movement and how that relates to my family. And so, um, that was, uh, another one of the takeaways from that conversation. That is huge. Like, right. and I've never heard that kind of thing. You know, I'm 53 years old and I didn't know any of that. And it's impressive how we are products of our history. I think there's a fine balance in everything when, you know how they say, know your history or you're doomed to repeat it. That's one side. And something that I've been thinking with, and you know, I, who knows where our conversation's going today. I just love how we're talking about re- reality, truth right now. Imagine if while we remembered history, we didn't hold on to it. And so that if you and I met each other, we didn't know there we were both from Mars and we both get here. We don't know what's been happening in the past. There's no future in, and we just are good to each other today. So understanding our past, but forgiving whatever that thing is and was, and me just saying to you, man, I love you, dude. You're cause you and me, we're related at whatever level we're related and we go at it that way now. And I'm sure you had to experience that a ton as a teammate, right? Cause you, sure. every, all the teammates come from different backgrounds and different economic situations and, you know, different athletic abilities, but you all have to galvanize and rally so that you can be the best team you can be. 
I, I see that, that throughout I, life, I, right? I love that sentiment. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that's so great. That's a great thought. Well, thank you. The <clears throat> so the the sports. It was the means to an end, right? You know, a, a lot of uh, people who come from poverty will say, "Well, you know, in the hip hop community, mm-hmm. let's say, you know, you either uh, uh, rap." <laughs> or dribble a basketball. You know, that's your only way out. And so for, um, for, for me, it was like, all right, my parents weren't going to be able to afford to, me to go to college, uh, let alone all seven of us, <laughs> right? Um, they weren't going to be able to afford uh, to pay for me to go to college. So the means to an end was I need to get good at sports. <laughs> really? <laughs> I need to get really good. Wow. When did you know that? When did that realization pop in your head? Well, it, you know, being the last of seven, you know, there's a, a, a 18 year gap between me and the oldest. 18. <laughs> right. Wow. And so, and so the, I, what I was witnessing as a youth was my parents rule. You go to high school, you graduate, you either go to the military or get a job but you don't stay here, right? Leave the nest. Leave the nest. <laughs> or if you stay here, you pay in rent, mm-hmm. right? So <clears throat> uh, the oldest would go off to college. We had uh, one of the oldest joined the Air Force. And, you know, so the examples were set for me. I see. And, but they were also going into debt. And uh, all, the, all of us were very good athletes at certain point and you know i have a uh the the fourth oldest andre was probably the best athlete of us all he ended up uh, going to the air force um <clears throat> but we're all fantastic athletes um my oldest brother who's four years older than me was the first actually to get a football scholarship okay and that was in 1995 his uh senior year in in high school I watched his journey. I was going on the recruiting trips and, you know, he was a, a high school quarterback, division two athlete, you know, solid division Absolutely. two athlete and which was uh, honorable in Missouri, you know, that uh, Missouri Valley football conference division. Big deal. Two, I mean, it's like solid, real football. Mm-hmm. And so growing up watching that and, and, and big eight, big 12 conference. I mean, I, I grew up loving football. Tigers fan. Well, I was I wasn't a Missouri Tigers fan. Okay, I I was a fan. Just I liked it all. You loved the game. <laughs> I just loved it all. It was just so good. Um, you know, basketball. Our family rooted a lot for KU basketball just because yep. we we liked the, the the style. But I we can get into that later. I just was not much of a sports fan. Okay, I I loved the game and I loved studying it, but I didn't you know get into the fanaticism of it. Mm-hmm. But um. I forget where we were. Where we talking, were talking about basically all the sports. Yep, and then the D two journey. Mm-hmm. The so I was uh, following my brother, and I was saying to myself, "Damn, it! I can do this." And I, when I was did in you know? School. How old were you? This was in middle school. Middle where, school, where I was like, "All right, if he can go D two, and and it's this is available, and these coaches are recruiting him and liking him, and and." And up until that point, I've been studying sports. I've been, you know, my parents, you know, got us a, a Sports Illustrated subscription, you know, th- you know, through Scholastics or whatever. Very you much, know, through yes. The school. And I was studying sports. I was studying professional athletes. I, um, I was uh, recording 
Deion Sanders on the VHS tapes and Jerry Rice. And I would replay those VHSs, you know, and I'd uh, adjust the tracking to where that little fuzzy line would get out of the way and I have a clear <laughs> picture and I put that thing in slow motion. Yes. And I'd study the moves and then I could go out on the playground and do them. So I, I would do it to kids. But was this pre pads? You were literally this elementary school. Yeah. You're just, you're just school. out with your buddies. Yeah. And so I like in, in a, in a backyard football game, I was doing Jerry Rice moves. Yeah. Um, um, Andre Reed moves. Wow. I taught myself how to throw left-handed like Steve Young and Boomer Esiason. And so I could do all the throws. I could throw like Randall Cunningham. I could throw like Warren Moon. I could throw like Joe Montana. So I was, I was emulating all these professional players and I could do them. Even on the basketball court, I could do Michael Jordan moves. I could, I could, you know, I could do all the moves, yeah. which was just a unique talent. Yeah. But then I actually had the opportunity to do it in sports games. So mm -hmm. when I signed up for football in third grade, um, and, and I, I can talk a little bit about that journey. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll back up some, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I struggled with, uh, ADD, ADHD when I was younger, I had trouble reading in, in kindergarten and first and second grade. It was bad. Yeah. I couldn't sit still long enough to understand it. I, I it, it was difficult for me. Sure. They, the, the, I, I remember the, the words were moving, the page, the letters were moving on the paper. Wow. I couldn't focus. Wow. And, and so, you know, growing up in Blue Springs, in Blue Springs, Missouri, um, a predominantly white neighborhood, suburb of Kansas City, Missouri. So my parents come back from Los Angeles, have um, uh, financial uh, foresight, made sound financial decisions, and they were able to move us to the suburbs. So and were you comfortable being in suburbs as a as a black family surrounded by predominantly white folks? Were was that a good cohesion? Were you well accepted? Were you guys comfortable? How how did that work out? Because you're a young kid at the time. Oh yeah, my parents, um, they put in place assimilation. I know there's a negative connotations towards that, but it was you're going to speak properly. Your hair's not going to be nappy. Your clothes are going to fit. You're going to shake people's hands. You're going to look them in the eye. You're going to be honest. You're going to get good grades. You're going to play your sports and you're going to stay out of trouble. Period. Period. Mm -hmm. And, and those rules were difficult to follow. Young black kid, the images on television were not conducive to mirror the behavior my parents were modeling. So, uh, it was difficult, but we executed, we did it. And, and so that was the model that was set for us in our household. And <clears throat> when I was bouncing off the walls in that environment, um, the, the white people in Blue Springs, they didn't toss me by the wayside. They didn't give up on me. They actually wrapped those services around me for me to be successful. One thing that my father did was he took me to the library and he introduced me to football. He, we got, uh, books off the shelf. I, I got Buddy Ryan uh, VHS tape, <laughs> and it covered all the positions in football, the stances, everything, in a very elementary way. And I sat and I watched that and rechecked it out for weeks. Just and, again and again. And that's what happened to me in, third, in second grade, third grade. I signed up for flag football in the third grade, and it was like, 
I wanted, I was wanted to be the kicker. I wanted to be the punter. <laughs> I, I had already like you don't kick field goals in flag football no, in third grade. That's I right. could kick field goals. <laughs> I, I was like on top of it. Yeah. And and obviously and I was watching the Chiefs and Nick Lowry was one of my he was my favorite chief. Sure. <laughs> he was the kicker. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and so um, I wanted to kick. I wanted to punt. I wanted to be the quarterback. So it's like that first little league game flag football. I take the kickoff touchdown. The team gets the ball. They go three and out. They punt, pick the ball up off the ground, touchdown. And I was, remember sitting on the sideline, like, damn, I'm good at this. <laughs> and then the other kids were looking at me like, who is this who's this? Sucker? Who's this dude? And I was teeny tiny. Yeah. And that was like, that, that was the moment. That was, was like, it. All right. All right. All right. I can do the moves that I see on TV. And then as we were, and as I was, I was, I was progressing through uh, element, elementary school into middle school, I bumped into Deion Sanders' uh, autobiography, um, Money, Power, Sex, How uh, fame, and, fame and Fortune Almost Ruined My Life was a title that bought it at a black expo. Uh, my my college-age sisters would come back and shower me with gifts and take me to R-rated movies and let me yeah. drive their cars and stuff. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> so I was a pretty spoiled little kid. But, you know, they take me to they took me to the black expo at Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm, st I'm standing in front of these books. I already bought Deion Sanders' rap album. And I'm like standing in front of the book. And I'm like, ah, she's my sister Denise is like, you want the book? I'm like, I want the book. And so I read that. And that was another part of it where it's like studying to be a professional athlete. I learned what not to do. And that, Smart. and that experience. How did you end up in Illinois? I'm sure for what you're saying, especially if you kept excelling at that rate through um, junior high and high school, you probably had mm -hmm. a lot of offers to go places. How did you end up in yeah, Illinois? So, so watching my brother go through that experience, all that base that I had, I was like, oh, I can go bigger. Cause, cause I, I you know, I, I was really good. I, and I grew up in that system as he was quarterback. My brother's the first black starting quarterback at this school. He was the uh, first black homecoming King and starting varsity quarterback. My brother was a, a model. Yeah, he laid it student. down for you. He kind of made that path for you to follow and understand. Oh, yeah. I was, you know, I colored outside of the lines. I was way more, <laughs> <laughs> I was way more wild okay. than he was. But thanks to him, you know, like we had a good family name. Yes. <laughs> going yes. through the going through the process. And so in this and then the structure. So I grew up on those sidelines throwing balls with the with the with the um with the football players and the summer camps. I was at all of them as a middle schooler and an elementary sure. schooler. Yeah, um, just tagging along. Tagging along. And so I really uh, was bought into the system and understood the process. The So freshman year, I was really little. B team, quarterback, C team, <laughs> quarterback. Uh, that's how big our school was. We had a freshman A, B, and C team. That's crazy. And then we take those the B and C team and play the smaller schools in the rural parts of Missouri, play their JV team. Wow. Right. This is a pipeline. Yeah. Uh, Bob Beatty. Huge school. Oh, Bob Beatty, our um, football coach just retired, um, went down to Louisville Trinity, won 18 championships over the course of like 21 years. Only oh missed three of goodness. them. I mean, it's over the top. He's a high school hall of famer, hall of fame coach. We had him. Uh, when he was just a position coach in Blue Springs, following another legendary high school football coach, uh, Wayne McGinnis in, in Missouri, right? Right. So um, so I came up in this pedigree of, of athleticism. So I 
um, standards uh, were high, high standards. And the college selection process was a, is a whole nother part of the story, but I can, uh, if you want to ask some other questions, I can get into sure, that a sure, later. Sure. So you go to Illinois, you have a really good career. What you got drafted, was it fourth round? Fourth round. And so when you get drafted, did you expect to go fourth round? Did you expect to go sooner or later? And tell, walk me through the draft process for you, what that was like emotionally and, and all the rest of it. The only person satisfied in the NFL draft is the first overall pick. Okay. Everybody else thinks they should have been drafted higher. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that totally makes sense. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. And um, I, I chose to leave the University of Illinois early. Okay. After so your junior imagine, year? Right. Yeah. Imagine how that went over mm -hmm. in the household. Yeah. Not good because education was critical. Critical. And, and yes, I was studying being a professional athlete. My parents didn't understand quite how much I was doing it. They just knew that that was keeping me in the house. My hoarding of VHS tapes of sports games <laughs> was keeping me in the house. Sure. I don't think they really were putting it together what I was thinking when I was doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, the, and the way I would study my brother's games, I would replay those games and understand like how these college or these high school athletes were moving and what they were doing and what got cheers and what wasn't, what didn't go over so well. I was reading the newspaper a lot. And, um, and so when I said I wanted to leave school early, they thought that that was me quitting because who makes it to the NFL? Did not, you have an agent? Did us. you did you know that that, that you were going to get drafted? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so that the 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 process to go to the NFL was, um, so my freshman year at the University of Illinois, uh, I I broke the record for freshman receiving yards, and my second year I fractured my femur. Oh, in a, a off the field accident, and <clears throat> so I set out my second year. I came back as a red shirt freshman, put up a thousand yard season. We uh, win the Big Ten and go to the Sugar Bowl. We outright champions of the Big Ten. The, the next season, my third season on the football field, another thousand yard season. And the uh, head football coach, Ron Turner, you know, during this process of uh, when I was back, my in the championship year, he confronted me, called me in the office. He was like, I heard you got a sports agent. I was like, hell no, I would <laughs> never do that. I would never do that. Like my, he, he, you know, he's known me since I was 16. He knows my, my parents. Yes. We would never, I would never do that. And, and that's because it was seen as um, disrespectful to the university who was paying for your college or, or disrespectful to my parents and my, and what they had taught us as a family, because the, 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 the selection process, why I chose the University of Illinois was because of the journalism process, the journalism. That's program. what you were studying. Journalism. Yeah, they were third in the nation in 1999 when I came out. All colleges knew that I was only picking schools with journalism programs. See, middle school, I was uh, I was doing the, the student run uh you know, news like station. The news, news yeah, deal, yeah. You know, I, I, I loved entertaining, you know, at the family gatherings, I was the kid in front of the camera. You know, I, I you know, I would give a speech. I would give a talk on Martin Luther King. 
at the family <laughs> gathering. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I was the, I was that kid. So I wow. loved entertaining. I wanted to be on television. So I was like, and, and my father, would, who's a, um, a retired public school teacher, he says, you know, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. You know, that's what he said to us when we were young. So I was saying to myself when I was young, I was like, man, I love entertaining. So that's what I'm going to do. It's not high paid, but I love doing it. And so that's why I only was selecting from schools at a time when I was the fourth, I was number four in the nation for high jump. I was a seven, three high jumper. Wow. I was long jumping 25, two. I was tied for fourth in the nation. I was a uh, 13, seven, 13, uh, 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 sub 14 high hurdler. Um, I was a, a three-star defensive back coming out of Missouri. The, the offers were coming from all over, from the Ivy League schools to ACC, SEC, yeah. Big 12, all over. No journalism schools, though. That's why you ended up in Illinois. Ruled them all out. Yeah. Wow. So that was going to the NFL was like a plan B. It's like, if, dude, if they're, if I'm good enough, they'll find me. So no matter where I go. So I'm gonna go somewhere, you know, power five conference. So I was like, all right, I'm not gonna go any lower than that. I'll go power five and, you know, do my thing. I'll be as good as I can be, you know, probably dominate. I'll, um, uh, come out of it, work some radio regionally, make my way up, do some television, and then I'll shoot my shot at going national. Uh, I looked up to, you know, Stuart Scott. I was like, maybe I'll do Stuart Scott for a little bit. Then I'll do like a Madra shot and get it and start making my way into entertainment, yes. sports and entertainment, and then make my way into you know, like E News, Entertainment Tonight, E News. This was my mindset. Yeah, like in Kevin Frazier. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was, I was going to do like a Michael Strahan, what, sure. that, what he's done modern. I was thinking about that in 99. Did you make the connection between wanting to be an entertainer and the entertainment that you provide people on the field? Of course. Oh, yes. yeah. That was the whole part of it. Yeah. You know, um, uh, without having the marketing and the social media. So I would. Um, uh, wear wristbands like Deion Sanders. You know, I when I I would I would I would I was more flashy. I would do flashier things so people would remember me, right? I um, put wristbands on my on my legs and rolled my socks over my shoes so it looked like a tape spat. So I really separated myself from the way the other uh, athletes looked. Yes. In order to to entertain and market myself. Wow. And so once you get into the league, you were um, drafted by San Francisco, by San Francisco and then you ended your career there too. Right. So you go through this journey, I think six teams. Did you right. have a favorite team that, or an organization that was just like, whether it was the group of guys or whether it was the culture, was there one of those? Cause it's an opportunity. I mean, a lot of people say, well, I had a cup of coffee here and a journeyman there. Right. But when you have a chance to play for organizations, you get to see a lot on mm. leadership, on culture, on consistency. What did you find in that process? Yeah, there's um, uh, good leaders, great leaders, and weird leaders. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that third one. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it can get weird and squirrely in some of these organizations, but you can have this really, there's like this, this really neat subculture there. My favorite team to play for uh, was St. Louis Rams. And what made that so? Because I'm from Missouri. And then Champaign was about an hour and a half away from there. So it was like this really um, strange homecoming um, to be in St. Louis, Missouri, to um, uh, 
that's actually the origin story to why I selected, why I chose to go to the NFL. Uh, one of my agreements with Ron Turner to go to Illinois was he was going to pro he promised me that by my junior year, I would have an internship at a major sports network radio. At the time, this was when the score was popular in Chicago. ESPN had just dropped the talk radio. Score was high. I was like, I want to do the score. Yep. I'll be on that. And so they agreed to it. So it was part of my agreement. So junior year came. He says, all right, I'm not going to send you to Chicago. It's a little too far. So I'm going to send you to St. Louis, Fox Sportsnet Midwest. So I go down there uh, with a, a, a study. Um, uh, I forget the term of it. But uh, some sort extended of internship. Study. Well, and an extended study. So I was uh, reporting to a the journalism department I see. with the curriculum. And so I was, you know, cutting reels, uh, writing scripts. And uh, this was back with old beta tape. So I was making the highlight reels. And, but I was covering um, the St. Louis Rams, the uh, Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals, the St. Louis Blues, uh, all in this summertime period. So it was, I was covering minicamp. I was covering the uh, uh, McGuire <laughs> Yeah, Mark McGuire, field, yeah. On the field as with as a reporter. As all these home runs are getting jacked. Dude, it was over the top. <laughs> this internship was over the top. <laughs> it's like, and so I'm covering all this, and I was at a mini camp, and I get a whistle from Isaac Bruce and Tori Hope. Yo, sure. yo, yo, B Lord, yo. <laughs> and I'm like standing around, and the the man I was with from the network's like, you better go over there. I'm like, is that going to violate some sort of raw? He's like, some sort of NCAA violation. He goes, you got a media credential. You go over there right now. <laughs> and so I did. I went over there. They invited me to lunch. So I sat in this lunch hall on, at the, in Earth City in St. Louis, and they proceeded to tell me how to go to the NFL. You, they're like, are you about to go pro? And I'm like, no, nah, you know, I'm staying in school. And they're like, dude, don't be stupid. You're ready to go. We see it. We're watching you. Here's a few things you need to do to take it to the another next level. Wow. And so I, I left that internship with these drills. I brought it back to the receiving core. And I was like, well, this is what I'm doing this summer. And everyone fell in line, lock and step. And we crushed it. You did? We crushed it that year. Did you go back and thank those guys after when for yeah, that, that I, piece I got of to, advice? Well, well when, I went, uh, when I went all pro, uh, Torrey Holt was on NFL Network. The day I was on, I was, when I was, uh, uh, when I was uh, voted 58th best uh, NFL player, top 100 that year yes. uh, for, for the Broncos, Torrey was on the NFL Network the day I was on. And I got to thank him live like publicly didn't it that just like, fill your heart oh, up? I, I was like about to tear up yeah it was it was so emotional yeah it was so emotional um uh to and then to go back to st louis and be as good at, you know i thought i was as good as tory and isaac i was you know because like the year after the all pro season for denver i was in st louis so i was like wearing the uniform i was having this like mini homecoming wow i was playing in front of my college fans my family and it was just like and i'm wearing the uniform of the players who basically gave me the blueprint to go pro that's incredible oh, it, was, it was a powerful moment it was just powerful man. I, I took so much pride in playing for that organization then there's steven jackson yep oh my stars and checks all the boxes the player who's the highest paid check 
hardest working check you know uh most genuine check the flyest all his clothes tailored he's fly check healthy check all his meals are catered in it's just like on this schedule he didn't eat the junk in the meal room it's like all schedule and just the longevity the pride the the discipline all these boxes so to play with him it was just like oh it was it was really powerful experience so it's like in these like weird yeah. Did he rub off on you in that way? Like where you got to see all that and he checked all the boxes. Did it change? What did it change for you with that kind of a role model, example, leader, whatever you want to call him? Yeah, because it was, you know, I was uh, leaving uh, the dysfunction of what was happening in Denver. And, and who was the quarterback when you were here? Uh, Kyle or did- Orton and Tim Tebow. Okay. How, how was that playing with that deal? Because that was dysfunctional, was dysfunctional for sure. Yeah, it was really dysfunctional particularly how I play, uh, route running releases, yes. you know, downfield playing, and then to have that external pressure to play a quarterback who doesn't play like that. That's right. It's mismatch, not, complete mismatch. Yeah. So, um, and then the, 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 the stress of the organization to try to fit Tim Tebow's style of play into an NFL game. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, uh, it was dysfunctional. Absolutely. And so coming from that, where I came to Denver, I had been rehabilitated because <laughs> I had a horrible reputation in the National Football League leading up until I got to Denver. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was um, uh, fourth round pick to San Francisco, groomed by Terrell Owens <laughs> and that dysfunction that was happening. And that. Yes. Yeah, because he had a bad rap as far as being kind of a outspoken cat, great athlete, sticking the thing in the in the in the guy's gear in the middle of the field and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it was worse. It was worse uh, in the locker room. It was even worse. Wow. Just the, um, the dysfunction and the, the way it just fractured mm-hmm. the cohesiveness with the team environment. So coming from that, then going to another strange situation with the, um, Washington football team and, um, and then not getting along with that coach publicly. And that team sought to blackball me from the NFL. So oh, wow. After my fifth year, they were, uh, I fractured my clavicle. They cut me two years into a seven-year contract and said, you'll, you'll probably never play again after this experience. And it wasn't until Ron Turner, who was the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, told Lovey Smith, who was the head coach in the organization that I've known Brandon since he was 16 years old. I can't vouch for anything that was going on out there in Washington, but I know he's a good kid. And so that was how I got my shot to play again in the National Football League in uh, 2008 when I was with the Chicago Bears. And, um, and you know, got that season. And then 2009, uh, Orton was traded from the Bears to That's the Broncos. Right. Yes, I was a free agent in that time period, and then Orton called and was like, "Hey, we could use another receiver. What kind of shape you in?" I'm like, "Hey, I'm in decent shape." And so I came out to Denver, lit up the workout, and got on the team in 2009. 
Wow, impressive. So then you go back and now you're with Steven Jackson. You've come through, you've rehabilitated your name and your mm-hmm. your brand, so to speak. Right. Then Steven Jackson and you are working together. What did you take from Cause that Because I, I was on a, I was, because it, it, it could have gone back squirrely again for me. You know, leaving that, leaving the, uh, the Broncos organization and then going to uh, an even worse situ- organization at the time. And then it could have, I could have gone off the rails again and uh, been back saying F you to these coaches mm-hmm. and, and um, uh, getting, having a real nasty attitude. And Steven really like centered me and was like, nah, it's bigger than that. It's, it's worth more to continue your legacy in this league and what you're, how you're going to impact people. And he, he really brought me back to my center. Wow. And, and then leaving St. Louis, Tom Brady. I went right. So it went from Stephen Jackson to Tom Brady. I was going to ask you about that. And I got to hear was that story. Amazing. It was amazing because it was the same thing, the same exact thing. Checked, Checked all the boxes. All the boxes. And, um, uh, and, and that was another uh, step for me. It was kind of like, yes, I'm going into my 10th year, my goal year. I was like, I only want to play 10 years. That's what I said to myself. I was like, by 10 years, I should have, I should be set. You should be set. You good. Yep. <laughs> and so I was going to my 10th year and I was like, yes. All right. Now I'm like going to make a great run at this Super Bowl. Finally with Tom, I had been dropping hints my entire career about wanting to play with him publicly <laughs> and interviews who's who's the best player in the nfl tom brady this is me like my <laughs> th- second third year in the league <laughs> yes yes oh yeah so i'm like trying to align myself with him and play with him and then finally you know josh mcdaniels is a free agent i'm a free agent josh goes back to new england i'm go- on my way to new england to play with josh and tom like was that the was that the most rewarding season for you? I know it was towards the end. How no, bad? no, the most rewarding season was Denver. Yep. Yeah, playing playing uh, for Josh in that New England style offense. It was just it fit my style. Got it. Uh, it, was the, it was real cerebral style of play. Uh, Kyle was uh, competent enough to uh, pick pick it up. We were on the same page. We're both seeing the defense the exact same way. Whole bunch of reads, whole bunch of adjustments that could be made to routes. The coach tailored routes to, for me. So even when Tom is looking at the offense, he's like, oh, well, we don't have that. It's like, yeah, because it it's custom. Wow. Right. It's like, uh, even when uh, Tom and I would, were talking about the offense prior to me uh, going to New England, uh, it, it was just like, he had to just chuck it up to Randy Moss to achieve those kind of yards. They couldn't build in a, a three-level route, a three-move route into uh, um, a into play, their scheme, yeah, into their scheme. And so it was really, it was really neat to have a unique component to that offense that was derived just from Josh McDaniels and, and myself as the athlete. So yeah, like that because you had rewarding. made that connection, then he brought that over. And, is and, he and, the, and then to achieve all, and then go all pro yes voted by my peers so like, amazing to lead the league in receiving yards to go to the pro bowl it's like yes like finally uh, i'm I achieved i i'm the athlete we all knew i could be you know that's what yeah I was it unfolded myself. you flowered and blossomed yes, into that it was just like a it sigh came of together. relief like wow yes so that was the most rewarding now when you left the league 
was there, did you do okay? Some athletes do and they move on to other things. Some people don't. I want to transition to things you're doing now. Mm -hmm. Did you have a hole in your heart of not being around the team and not going through the process and not getting in front of the camera or cause I know you did some other things right during your career, you're doing some rapping, a little bit of acting, but did you miss the league after you left it? Or were you like, I'm done. I played my 10. I got my thing. I Next. missed it. I missed it. You did. Oh yeah. Any depression? The, oh yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot. Oh yeah. And still battling it. <laughs> the, the, the three things I miss about the national football league, the violence, being the absolute best at something and the preparation. And what about the violence? Tell me about that. Cause you're not a violent cat. Like you, you, you don't have that. It's just when you get between the lines, there's a thing, a switch. Like oh, what yeah. is it that, there's a switch. that you're feeling? Yeah. The, and you know, the, the industry lends itself to those p character traits. Absolutely. Okay. So it's, I'm five years removed. So naturally, I, I'm, I've worked hard to rehabilitate myself. I call it deprogram okay. myself. Makes sense. The, but that outlet, you can't get anywhere else. And that's what my father saw in me as a second grader. You need something, that's what he would say to me. You need something. You, you, you need to channel this in a different way. Wow. That's what my father would say. Yes. And then early in my football career, that's what the football coaches would say. Because I get so worked up and angry. Um, one of my freshman coaches says, you need to channel this in a different way. And these are like nuggets and switches that were like turned in my life and just kind of changed the train track and changed the trajectory of my life. These people that sit, would say these things. So it's like, all right. So instead of getting madder about getting defeated on the football field, I just need to learn my plays. And so did you take that lesson or lessons of how to channel anger as you were deprogramming yourself. Exactly. Did you take some of those things that now you can pass on? Cause obviously there's a lot of young kids that even if they don't play football, if they're not into some sort of combat sport or something, what do they do to channel Have you now shared that? The fitness. Exactly. Fitness. And, that, and that's, and that's what, uh, part of, uh, what I noticed going into the pandemic was, uh, uh, what am I going to do to, to channel this unused energy. Um, and it was vigorous exercise. I need to make sure I take my medicine. So going into the pandemic, I said I was gonna, I need to make myself available to people uh, using these new modes of communication. Because uh, friends of mine, advisors of mine who were unavailable prior to the pandemic, I'm only, I'm only good in person. So these are people I used to have to fly to to have a cup of coffee, fly to San Francisco to have a cup of coffee or take a family vacation to steamboat, to get time with this individual while he's on vacation at nighttime. Cause wow. I couldn't do it during the daytime when we're doing family time yes. at nighttime when all the kids are asleep, I get this two hour window and then I can start planning my uh, future with him. Uh, and this is post career. And so it's like, I need to make myself available. All of a sudden these people were available and then other relationships where people just need to reach out. Some men would call me and be like, dude, I just need someone to talk to, <laughs> right? And so I, what I found was that was actually therapeutic for me to be that sounding board for other people. The uh, second thing I noticed was I need to take my medicine and that's vigorous exercise. So cancel my memberships, 
got a few pieces of gym equipment to put in the house and I really got after it with the exercising because that knocks the edge off. Yes, and sir. And that's that violent component. It's like if I have misguided energy, I'll get into deviant behavior. Mm. And so exercise knocks the edge off, keeps me cool and calm. And then the third part of my strategy uh, going into the pandemic was it's okay to not be okay. Yes, you sir. Know, I needed to understand when I wasn't feeling okay, but then I need to refer back to one and two. Wow. That is so good. So tell me this with all the work you've done in yourself, athletically, emotionally, mentally, you've transitioned that now from being in the league for a decade plus to now into what you're doing with a couple of things. I want to share with us where you're, where you're spending your time and your energy now, how you're making a difference. I'm spending my time and energy with CareerWise Colorado. I'm serving as uh, business partnerships and uh, am, uh, ambassador uh, to the apprentices. And when we talked about CareerWise, it was new to me. So if you would share for a moment or so what that is for our audience that might be listening and then tell if they're, you know, just give the bigger kind of vision and mission with that um, so that people might say, oh, how can I support that? Or how can I be part of that? Because it, it's a really cool deal. Yeah, so uh, career-wise, we're uh, bridging the gap between education and uh, the workforce. So we're, um, we're using the Swiss dual education model, which uh, combines students' current classroom education with um, real-world experience in the, in the business world. So it's a, a three-year model. Students start their junior year in high school. They will, um, uh, they will spend time at work and that replaces their electives. So we're currently in 98 schools in Colorado. Wow, 98, yeah. all across the state. All across the state. We, are, uh, uh, we, we recruit the students from the schools into the businesses and we have the technology to help us do that. Um, we create uh, programming with the businesses so the students have competency sk sets and skills. And then the final component to that is we are the intermediary between the U.S. Department of Labor and the businesses. So these students leave with uh, a certified credential that, you know, stands up to, you know, just like um, the vocational trades in the trades where an electrician goes and uh, gets a certificate he can take he or she can take that certificate to anywhere in the nation and it's recognized and that's what we're uh, seeking to achieve here at, uh, at CareerWise. you know thanks to our leadership Noel Ginsberg um, has just been a fantastic uh, leader you know he brought the I have a dream foundation uh, he and his wife Leslie uh, brought that uh, foundation here to Colorado which initially you know sought to um, reduce dropout rates and that was the original schools. vision is That's to the original reduce. Vision. Wow. And so this career wise has been bred out of that because, um, as he sat on a couple other uh, positions for the uh, Denver public schools, uh, he chaired the college workforce and development committee that sent him to Switzerland. And then he learned about this model in Switzerland and then, then governor Hickenlooper, you know, granted, uh, his request to go back with a delegation of, to Switzerland to study this model. And it was 48 people, um, business leaders, uh, heads of um, uh, unions, uh, university presidents, um, superintendents of school district, business leaders, philanthropic organizations. And they all go out, they visit 24 businesses in Switzerland. They 
uh, speak with apprentices over this five-day summit, and they, they noticed the same thing that Noel noticed. 70% of the businesses in Switzerland, 70% um, of the employees in Switzerland all come from apprenticeships. 40% of businesses participate in apprenticeships, and then there's 3.2% unemployment rate amongst the youth. Wow, and is that, does that mean they don't, that these, these kids are not driven the college route, they're driven straight from high school to the workforce, that's who this is designed to serve? That's who this is designed to serve. So good, because you know, we've had this myth for so long that you have to go to college if you're gonna make anything of yourself, and, and I will tell you, you know, because I wanted to be a chiropractor, I knew that from the time I was in high school when I got hurt playing football, I knew there was one path I had to trod to get that done, I had to go through the school. Right. But if, unless you have something like that, where it's required as the cost of doing business to get a license, man, there's so many ways, there's so many options and it's all about fulfillment, self-awareness and happiness. And so I couldn't be more thrilled that you're providing that gap where you can help people say my self-worth isn't tied to going to college. And whereas if I go, it's fine. But if I don't go, I'm still as valuable and I can make my way and I can open a business and I can do my thing and live the American dream. Man, that is incredible. Exactly. And, and to bring this full circle, I left school early. I uh, went back to school and I walked with the class of 2018. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And did you finish in journalism? Well, I finished in, in liberal arts because I couldn't go back and, and pick up all those credits. Okay. And, and, yep. But yep. I applied the credits that I had and, and, and scooped up the liberal arts degree. That's incredible. And so that is part of my, uh, my mission is that it may not be for you right now. College may not be for you. It, but it doesn't stop you from doing it later in life. I actually found that going to college later in life, I was way more focused. Yes. I was, um, I was a way better student uh, having lived work experience and then being able to apply that to college. It was so fulfilling. I'm th that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What, um, if you were to say, if people wanted to learn more, how could they learn more about um, either career wise or where yes. you're at in your, in your journey right now? Yes. Yeah, so, um, to learn more about career wise, you can visit the website, uh, careerwisecolorado.org. The, um, it's a unique ask, you know, the, there was a lot of philanthropic members on that delegation that Noel led to Switzerland. The, uh, among those, the Bloomberg philanthropies, the Gates family, locally Daniels, um, the uh, Gates Family Foundation, the Jamie and Judith Diamond Foundation. So we're fully funded. That's amazing. So it is, um, uh, and without that level of support, it would be uh, impossible for us to embark on such a um, difficult task. We're, you know, we're asking to change an entire system of thinking, of going to school and going to college. But then businesses have, businesses have to shift their thinking and say, all right, we're going to bring a young person in here and, and not have them just look over our shoulder <laughs> or staple papers and get coffee, but actually become uh, real members of our workforce. And so they're uh, looking at this uh, and seeing the real uh, return on investment. We have over 120 business partners locally here in Colorado. That's incredible. So we're asking for participation. If you know, and the unfortunate events that happened uh, last summer, the murder of George Floyd, caused a lot of business leaders to re-examine uh, their position in the world and 
even us as an organization at CareerWise, we ask ourselves, you know, can, is, are, we, are we doing enough to make equitable environments for the students that we serve? And also, what are we doing internally as an organization to make sure that we're reflecting the greater society also? So it's like the, the, the uh, components of diversity, equity, equality, and inclusion, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're walking that talk as we're helping solve these questions for our employer partners because they're seeking career-wise to also diversify uh, their uh, workforce and to create pipelines of talent for their workforce. And uh, our Equity First initiative where uh, we're going into um, the, the most diverse sets of school districts here in, 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 um, in, in Denver and we're pro providing more applicants of color um, uh, some of the largest businesses are participating in this and uh, Pinnacle Assurance uh, locally, Phil Kalen was on that uh, trip with Noel. Uh, he dedicates 5% of his staff to Colorado CareerWise apprentices. He keeps 30 apprentices on staff every year. And, and so he set an example along with all the, along of our, you know, the other 120 some employer partners, they're setting an example of what apprenticeships can be and can mean for the future of Colorado's workforce. And we can share this model out in a quality way as we're consulting with, you know, 30 other states. You know, we, we've, um, uh, New York, we just brought online Washington, D.C. We're bringing on northern Michigan. Uh, Elkhart, Indiana, which is rural Indiana. We're bringing on Indianapolis and, you know, eight other cities. That's so wonderful. we can share this model out in a quality way. So if, if, if um, our listeners out there want to participate, they want to make a difference in the community, you know, this is real leadership. It's stepping up and, and offering these opportunities within your workforce. You don't have to have 300 employees like uh, Pinnacle Assurance. It works for businesses with 10 employees and works for uh, large enterprise level businesses. Wow. I'm motivated. I want to see how we can connect with you on that um, and see where we can take that. Yeah. We've been working on a paralegal. Oh, really? We've been working okay. on a, a, a paralegal occupation. We currently have 33 occupations. You know, Switzerland has 180 occupations. The chairman of, uh, of UBS Bank started off as an apprentice. Wow. Right? So, you know, the Swiss model has proven this, not just for underachievers. The, you know, the vocational path is not just for underachievers. No question. And we're focusing mainly on uh, white-collar jobs because we feel that um, – the unions do a fantastic job with the trades. And so we're just focusing right now on uh, the white collar jobs and getting students placed and trained with, we do boot camps in the summer for our students. Uh, we're front loading a lot of the training um, because of our partners in New York. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, they have uh, a very diverse set of, uh, of, um, uh, uh, of student apprentices and applicants yes. of uh, students of color. And uh, what they realized that front-loading their training at uh, Amazon and New York and J.P. Morgan, that they have greater fidelity uh, with the students uh, once they get on site, and it helps them complete the program. That makes sense. So Completely makes sense. We're Integrated. applying that model in the Equity First initiative here in Colorado, where we uh, are providing more wraparound services to the students of color who need it. Um, you know, who have just as much talent as everybody else, but just because of the school they go to or their um, circumstances at home, um, it's restricted their uh, ability to perform. So that's where 
the um, nonprofits step in. Wow. And the philanthropic organizations. We step in and we help uh, those students compete and, and have a more equitable economy because that's what we're all looking for. That's, that's how the only way about. we're going to compete on the global stage is to have an equitable economy. Everyone has to be a participant. If we're going to make these huge technological leap, this huge, you know, social leap forward and this, you know, environmental leaps forward that we want to make, everybody needs to be able to participate or we won't compete. That's right. We don't have enough talent unless we use all our talent. I, I want to ask you one final question, Brandon. This has been so good for me. I mean, just hearing, I, I'm a huge football fan and, you know, again, knowing, watching your career here in Denver, Thank but you. talking about some of the backstories and just how you were brought up, it's been fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Has there been one piece of advice that either you've learned along the way or someone shared with you that you would feel would be core to who you are, or if you were to give, offer it to one of our listeners, one piece that you would say, man, if I could give you one thing, this would be it. Yeah, I'll, I'll share with the listeners what my father taught me. So there's three people in life. There's a, a, a smart person who learns from their own mistakes. There's a stupid person who never learns from their mistakes. And there's a wise person who learns from other people's mistakes. Oh, that's beautiful. I've never heard that. That is ridiculous. I think that's a mic drop. I think that's a mic drop. Brandon, thank you so much, man, for the, taking the time, for what you're doing, for not only bringing me and all the rest of the hundreds of thousands of Broncos Nation joy for those years that you were here, but for now what you're doing to, like you say, bring awareness to equality and diversity, to bring awareness to the multiple paths we can lead to success and to help our country keep leading the way. So thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me on. and giving me the platform to, to speak to your listeners. And, and like I said, at the beginning of the show, I, I enjoy listening and I'll continue to listen. You have a bunch of podcasts. What do you, what, which episode are you on? Uh, we just released 67, 67 yeah. I believe. And yeah. so, yeah, so we're they, just trying to do our thing. They say most podcasts don't make it past, you know, seven or 10, right? So congratulations. Thank you. Um, and, and, and I listen and it's inspiring. So well, I appreciate so it so much. We'll, we'll do this again. Yeah. All right. Take care my friend. All right.